0: Welcome to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. Hello, Miriam. Hello, Christy. In this podcast, we aim to provide candid, accurate, and straightforward advice direct from the admissions officers who read your applications. This fall, we're going to be covering letters of recommendation, essays,
1: and a lot more. We hope it's going to be helpful to all of you as you navigate the application
0: process, either this year or in the future. But first, you may be wondering... Who is Miriam? Who is Christy? And why are these two hosts talking about law school admissions? Those are
1: some great questions. So I will start. Uh, this is Miriam, and I am a Yale Law School alum from the class of 2004. I went straight from college to law school. And then after law school, I clerked at the Supreme Court of Canada. For those of you who may not know what a clerkship is, it is a temporary position, usually one year, sometimes two years working uh in a judge's chambers, and a chambers is just a fancy word for their office. Uh, After working for the judge, uh, I worked in private practice for a number of years as a litigator and then transitioned to a civil rights nonprofit that focused on uh, the child welfare system um, all across the U.S. I then spent a few years working at a different law school uh, in various roles and then came back about two years ago to Yale Law School.
0: And I'm Christy, the Dean of Admissions at Harvard Law School. I worked for three years in between college and law school and I was inspired to apply to law school from my experience teaching elementary and middle school as a Teach for America Corps member. During law school, I worked at the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights and at a large law firm in Boston. Following graduation in 2012, I clerked on three different courts in the Boston area before entering private practice, like Miriam, as a litigator, and I joined the JD Admissions Office at Harvard in 2018. We kind of started right around the same time, didn't we? We
1: did, within a few weeks of each other. And we've been uh, talking and hanging out ever since, uh, sometimes over the phone, sometimes with wine, sometimes over the phone with wine. And now on a podcast. All right, enough with the introductions. Let's get to the good stuff.
0: When we began working on this podcast, we wanted to add a little bit of levity and fun, and we thought it might be cool to start each episode with a game. So Miriam, you have the honor of introducing our first game. Okay, so we're gonna call this one underrated or overrated.
1: And let's just jump right into it. So I'm gonna ask Christy... Uh, whether you think, Christy, this is underrated or overrated, whether you think applicants uh, should be using easy classes to boost their GPA.
0: Okay. And I have to pick one, right? I can't like fiddle around in the middle. I've got to choose overrated or underrated. You've got to
1: say overrated or underrated, but then you can give an explanation. I think that's, uh, the, you know, lawyers always say it depends. So we wouldn't be lawyers or recovering lawyers, as I like to say, if we didn't <laughs> allow a little it depends, but start with a with a clear overrated or underrated?
0: Well, this one is easy for me. Using easy classes to boost your GPA is overrated. This is one of those pieces of advice I see on forums that I I, I just shake my head every time. This is an SMH shake in my head, overrated. We're looking for people who really like being students and like academic challenges. And I think people underestimate how much time we spend actually reviewing a transcript, going through class by class. And it's actually not that impressive if you appear to be gaming the system to load up on a lot of easy classes um, in order to get a GPA boost. I'll give you an example that I've seen in the past. Um, I, I once saw an applicant who was Fluent in Italian—that was on her resume. Fluent in Italian, and then I saw that in her senior year she took the very f- f- first introductory level Italian classes. That is the type of uh, thing that is quite overrated, whether or not it gives you a GPA boost.
1: So I agree a uh, hundred thousand percent. We also look so closely at the transcript, and I'm going to give the flip side of it, where I think sometimes candidates worry too much about maybe a slightly lower grade or two. Um, When it's clear that the applicant was taking that because of a passion or an interest in something, and they were really challenging themselves. So I actually have another language-based example where we had an applicant who we admitted, um, and this was two years ago, who... His GPA was largely very, very good, but it was really dragged down by some very low grades and a very, very hard um, language. And he was just really passionate about that region. He was there every summer. He spent a couple of years there after college. And it was really clear he kind of didn't care about the grades. He knew he needed those language skills to do the things in his career he wanted. I didn't have any academic concerns because he got, you know, a C in super hard language class one, two, and three. That was totally okay. So we will cut you some slack if you're taking graduate level classes, if you're taking the really hard language classes, um, and we're gonna look a little askance if you're uh, loading up on those intro to whatever as a senior, unless you kind of have to, and sometimes you do.
0: All right, ready for the next round? So ready? Underrated, you overrated? Under ready? <laughs> Born ready? Okay. Born ready. <laughs> Miriam, for you underrated or overrated, attending community college and then transferring to a four-year program?
1: I was born ready to answer this one. This is totally underrated. I think that um, both of us uh, are really committed to creating classes with diversity, both in terms of the undergraduate institutions that are attended. And I think Sort of separate and aside from that, to really providing opportunities to students um, from across the socioeconomic um, spectrum, including students, especially from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds. So, a student who has the grit and the perseverance um, to start out at a community college, which is not always, but often done for financial reasons, to do really well there, to be able to transfer into a four year program, to make that transition, which is not an easy transition midway through college, and then to do well in that four-year program, to me, that's just an incredibly impressive thing to do. Um, And I am always really wowed by it. And yeah, I would love to see more applications from students like that. And we love to admit students like that to our class.
0: I completely agree. I have almost nothing to add. Those are some of my favorite applicants every year. Yeah. All right. Okay, last
1: one. Underrated or overrated? Uh law-related extracurricular. So things like moot court, debate, pre-law societies, uh, maybe Model UN, sort of those very traditional uh pre-law type activities.
0: This one is trickier than the first one you asked me, but I'm going to I'm going to follow the rules of the game and pick one or the other and go with overrated unless you actually enjoy and you're excited by these experiences. These are awesome extracurricular activities. There's people who love them. Many applicants participate in activities of this kind, but it's not necessary to do so and one should not feel pressure during college to join any or all activities that have law, policy, debate and the like in in the title or in the kind of description. It's 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 not necessary to demonstrate an interest in law school. So this, if this is something you want to do, go for it. Um, But if it's something you're feeling like you have to do, maybe look for what actually excites you.
1: I agree a hundred percent. I get asked this with regularity, you know, what kinds of extracurricular activity should I do? And I think that there is no right and no wrong answer to that. I think, Every single person should be pursuing the things that they enjoy, that excites them, that, you know, they want to be doing in college.
0: All right. So now we're going to get to the heart of today's discussion. So this podcast is going to touch on a variety of topics over the course of the season, including advice about specific components of the application. But since this is our first and uh, opening episode, we figured we should start with some general thoughts on the application process. So ready, Miriam? So ready for okay. ready. Christy. <laughs> <So> ready. <laughs> Opening question, Miriam, can you describe in very general terms, what are you looking for when you read an application?
1: Okay. Yes. So the first thing I'm going to say, this is my caveat is that of course, um, at Yale, we have a somewhat unusual process, although it's not uncommon at schools to have you know, lots of readers involved. So I'm one reader among many. Our faculty is very involved. So this is my own view. Um, I'm sure certain faculty members would agree with some of this or all of it, maybe to a greater or lesser extent, but that's my big caveat. So I happened to speak to two applicants today by phone um, and they both asked me this question. So I feel very well prepared right now to answer it. So There are two questions that I always ask myself when I'm looking at a file. There's what I call a a threshold question or in sort of the litigatory term, a gating question. Um, So what that means is the answer has to be yes to move forward. Uh, When I read the application, is this someone who I think has the potential to be academically successful at the law school? Uh, And academic success is a lot more than just LSAT and GPA. I think people put a lot of weight there. And those are very important things, but they're certainly not the be all and end all of academic success. It's things like what Christy was talking about earlier, really carefully reviewing the transcript. What types of classes was this person taking? Is there an upward trend? Is it that they started as a STEM major and they were like, uh, oh, like they hit organic chemistry and that was it for them. And they started then to do really well on something else. That's not an uncommon pattern. Um, do they have a graduate degree? Um, And that shows a change in their, their academic progress where they, it just sort of clicked in all of a sudden, what are their letters of recommendation saying about them? How is their writing? There's so many indicia or possible indicia of academic ability um, that we look for, and that can paint a really nuanced picture of of a student's academic ability. So that's one big threshold question. The other one um, is, whether this is a person who can contribute to our community. So there's way more people who meet that first question than we can possibly admit. And so then I'm looking for people who I think are going to be really good community citizens. And that can mean almost anything. Uh, Student leaders, uh, people who are going to be really engaged academically with our faculty, people who are going to do amazing clinical work, uh, all sorts of things. And again, we look at the past as prologue um, to this. What have you been doing? extracurricularly, in terms of internships, in terms of work experience, um, in terms of personal background and and voice that you can add to our community to determine how you would contribute. Oh, final thing. This one matters a lot. I think it's important that we admit people who are nice, someone who's a good person, um, And the kind of person that our our faculty, our students, and our staff are going to enjoy working with and hanging out with. Uh, Most people, almost everyone meets this criteria, but once in a while, you'll stumble upon someone who doesn't. And I view that as a disqualifying thing.
0: It's true. It's, it's, you do, yes. Every once
1: in a while. It's rare. Every once in a while. It's rare. So what about you? How, how similar or different is that from what, what you're looking for when you read?
0: I, I co-sign everything you just said. I'll, wow. I'll offer some additional thoughts mostly to, you know, hear yeah. myself talk. But I co-sign everything you said. What's the point of a podcast other than to hear yourself talk? <laughs> so I, another thing I'll just add is it's really important for the reader to understand why law school makes sense for you as your next step in your career. And by that, I don't mean the reader must know exactly what, jobs and positions you will hold over the course of a 25 to 45 year career, career in the law. Uh, but it's it's helpful just to know that you've given some thought to it and that law school is the next step for you, whatever the steps are after that. So sometimes it's very obvious why someone wants to go to law school. You take a look at someone's background, extracurriculars, work experience, and almost no explanation is needed, right? Um, Other times, it's really important for the applicant to tie all of the pieces together for you and either explain directly or or showcase indirectly why you're interested in law school. Why is this the best next step for you?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I was at an event with one of our fantastic faculty members earlier today. And he actually really emphasized that too, and how important that is to him as a reader. Um, And he actually framed it, I thought, really nicely. He said that to view the application as an opportunity to really think through why you're going to law school, you should be able to answer that question. Law school is not right for everyone. It's a big investment um, of of time and of money. um, And there are lots of talented people who shouldn't or aren't interested in law school. And so you should at least in your mind kind of know not necessarily the kind of lawyer you want to be, but why law school as Christy said so nicely is the right next step for you and just make sure that the reader when they're done reading your application could answer that question about you as well. And I think that's that's really important.
0: One piece of advice I sometimes uh, give to prospective applicants is to have someone who knows you really really well read your essays and take a look at your resume and then tell you why th- you want to go to law school, right? Like, what is what is that person's impression from your application materials about why you want to go to law school? So do it with someone who knows you really well. And then do it again with someone who knows you not quite so well. Uh, I mean, that one you want to pick carefully. Someone you're going to be comfortable sharing an essay, comfortable sharing a resume with. But that can be, I think, really illuminating because if someone who doesn't know you that well reads all of your materials and looks at you and says... I- I don't really know. Uh, It seems like you might be interested in environmental law and you think to yourself, no, that's that's not it at all. It's time to go back to the drawing board and think about how all of those pieces fit together.
1: Yeah, that's a that's some great advice. I think that's really, really, really good advice. And I think the broader advice of having a community of support as you go through this process, people to bounce things off of, to read your materials, to check for typos, just to kind of... um, remind you that you need to bet on yourself um, and to have confidence in you, to have those people who are positive, who are supportive people, because not everyone is, I think is just a tremendously important thing through this process. All right, Christy, here's one for you. How do you handle the fact that some schools have uh, more grade inflation or less grade inflation than others and the fact that some schools have A-plus grades, which give a 4.33 and others do not?
0: You know, honestly, Don't worry about the difference between your undergraduate institution and any other applicant's undergraduate institution. Your focus should be on your own academic record and making sure it demonstrates your academic interests and your potential. We receive a Credential Assembly Service or CAS report from LSAC with every application, and it allows us to see how your GPA and your performance compares to other law school applicants from your same undergraduate institution over the last recent years. It's an easy way for us to get a sense of the level of grade inflation or grade deflation at a school. And we take that into account when we assess your overall academic record, just to ensure that there's fairness between applicants from different schools. And we are well aware that certain schools, uh, the service academies are one really notable example, have very strict curves. We don't penalize applicants who attended those schools. Yeah, I think
1: that's exactly right. I think the key word here is context. Uh, we're looking at you in the context of your own academic institution um, and, and other contextual factors as well, of course. Um, so so Please don't be concerned. You're certainly not at a disadvantage if, for example, your school doesn't have A pluses, or even if you're at a school that does give A pluses, but those are very rare, versus some schools that give A pluses much more frequently. Uh, We're looking at your uh, academic record um, compared to others who are in a similar situation as you are, not compared to others who are in a very different situation.
0: One related question, Miriam, what about major? Does it matter what an applicant majors in? Is there a boost, for example, for STEM majors? Or some people wonder if it's better to have a more quote, typical major like political science or history? So as a
1: former STEM major myself, I, I wish I could say, yes, every single STEM major gets a massive boost, but that is definitely not the case. Um, I don't think there's a right major for law school in, in any way at all. And, and obviously that's different for, for med school. And I was pre-med. Of course, there were majors that were, were preferred and that just isn't the case here. I think it's really important to pick a major uh, that you enjoy, uh, where you're really excited to learn the material. Um both because uh, I think college is a once in a lifetime experience and you want to enjoy it, but also because I think you tend to do better uh, when you're in in a major or taking classes that uh, really suit your learning style and also that you're really interested in.
0: I completely agree. College is a limited period of time. You only have so many classes you can take. Your focus should be on getting the most out of that experience academically and otherwise, not choosing a major based on what someone on the internet told you might be helpful for law school admissions. I'll say that for Harvard, uh, coming from a STEM major is definitely a big plus in the application process. We're always looking for STEM majors, but I'm sure we both agree that we evaluate your academic performance in the context of the rigor of your individual course of study. Right. And it's certainly the case that it's possible in any
1: major to have a more rigorous or a less rigorous set of courses. Completely agree.
0: Miriam, what about graduate degrees? Helpful, harmful, neutral?
1: So at YLS, we definitely admit a lot of people who have um, a master's degree or a PhD or who are in the process of, of working um, on one of those degrees or um, who come to Yale and then decide that they're going to either start that while in law school or right after. So that's definitely something I, I think We're sort of a a quirky place in some ways. We're a very interdisciplinary school. So I think for us that that can be an asset, but it is by no means necessary at all. Um, So you should never go out and get a graduate degree unless you want to get a graduate degree. That is a massive um, investment of of energy, of time, of money. uh, And it should be done because of a passion for the subject, because of an interest in the learning and the experience that you're going to get from that program uh, and never done to improve your chances of law school admission. Uh, I look at graduate records with the same attention that I pay to undergraduate records. So I need to be confident throughout in an applicant's academic ability. Uh, and that includes in any subsequent graduate programs. Sometimes a graduate program will help me overcome some lingering doubt. So if it's someone who maybe had a rocky start in undergrad, and then a good finish, and then they have a really strong master's record, that's great. That just proves that they really fi- found their stride. And um, and and i it makes me feel more confident. Sometimes it can be a problem if someone had a really strong undergraduate record but then they went into a very rigorous masters program or phd program and there there's a downward trend that can give rise to some doubts about whether the the increased rigor of the graduate level study was was more challenging for them. So it's again context is key. Um we look at those very carefully even though technically those gpas don't quote unquote count. They count
0: for me in
1: my review, equally.
0: For sure. For sure. I think it's important for applicants who have pursued post college study, uh, and particularly those who've pursued many years of graduate study, to help an admissions committee understand why law school makes sense as the next step. I know I've said this already, but for some people it's a total pivot and that's okay. Uh, Just help us understand that. For other people, it's not a pivot at all, but you want the reader to understand why and appreciate why you're going to law school um, to avoid a situation in which it kind of just feels like the person likes school and is looking to do more school. Yeah,
1: I totally agree with that. Christy, let's turn now to some of the non-academic factors that are important for a successful application, things like extracurriculars and work experience. How do you go about evaluating those as part of your review process?
0: I'll start with extracurriculars, I suppose. So these are activities you participate in outside of your courses during undergrad. And I think they can tell you us a lot about the applicant. It tells us whether they were engaged beyond their coursework. And I'll say it's it's okay if you weren't. Um, there's some people who, who are more focused on their academics, and that's fine. Um, and it also can tell us a lot about your interests. What motivates you? What intrigues you? What did you... Try at one period of time. I like to see a record of sustained involvement in at least some extracurricular activities with some increased responsibility over time. Um, and I'll also say it's kind of fun to also see applicants who explore a variety of different activities because one's interests naturally change over time. But I I'd like, do like to see some sort of deeper commitment in at least some of those activities during undergrad. It's also helpful when one's extracurricular activities connect to the larger narrative about who they are and why they want to attend law school. Extracurricular involvement is, is one of the ways that an applicant can show rather than just tell that they're interested in something.
1: Yeah. So I agree with all of that. And I'll just say, those are all sort of the platonic ideal of extracurricular activities that we see every possible pattern ranging from none to being um, the leader for many years of multiple groups um, to, you know, just sort of jumping around and doing lots of different things. And all of those are completely fine. You should not be in any way nervous um, if you fit into one of those patterns or a different pattern. Uh, But those are some things to be thinking of if you're still early on and you're thinking about, how to position yourself. Um, And then the the one final point I want to make is that we also understand that participating in extracurricular opportunities is a privilege um, and one that not every applicant has equal access to uh, because of their personal circumstances or their family circumstances. Some people uh, have to work to support their family or themselves. Uh, They have caregiving obligations or something like that. And I know that we certainly have on our application um, places where we're actively seeking information about work about caregiving, um, either paid or unpaid, uh, to make sure that we're getting a really well-rounded view of what you were spending your time on during college and afterwards as well, of course, uh, whether or not it falls into the traditional extracurricular bucket. And I, I believe that's
0: the same thing at, at Harvard as well. That is true. So let's turn to work experience. Um, So work experience is definitely not necessary. There are plenty of incredible applicants and and incredible students at both of our schools who went straight from undergrad to college. But I think it can be really enriching if it's something you choose to do.
1: Yeah, and I think we're sort of on both sides of that, right? I went straight through and obviously, Christy, you you spent three years um, working before law school. So I think we we just show that it's possible to, to do both and um, and have a very good experience either way. So I'll, I'll touch briefly on the types of work experience you may want to think about, or um, if you do choose that opportunity and spoiler alert, we're going to have a whole episode on timing. So we'll talk more about that decision uh, later as well. Um, so my general advice on work experience is to really think about the kind of work you want to do rather than how is this going to look to an admissions committee later. You're the one who's going to be in that job nine to five minimum every single day for a year or more. So what's most important is what that experience is going to be like for you, what you're going to learn from it, whether you're going to enjoy it, the people you're going to meet, the connections you're going to make, rather than how it's going to appear on an application. Um, I used to be a career counselor, so uh, I I think also that even if you have a job you don't love, that is a learning experience as well. It can teach you about yourself, about the kinds of jobs, careers, um, industries, subject matters you don't enjoy. So you shouldn't view that as a failure. You should view that as something uh, that you now know about yourself, which can be very valuable too. And obviously it's in a field that you end up loving. That's great too. That's a win-win sort of situation
0: yeah I, I completely agree and there's there's different schools of thought here so there's some people who might want to explore a work or, or service opportunity that connects to an area they're interested in or their reasons for going to law school um, for other people they want to do something completely different and and seemingly unrelated to the law to try out something that they might not get it they, they might, not get an opportunity to explore later in life. So it really is a personal decision. It's a personal choice. And I'm with Miriam. I think I've gotten so much out of jobs that were not as fun day to day. And I certainly got a lot out of um, supervisors and managers who were more challenging than others I've had. I think you you are going to learn something no matter what what experience you choose and what the experience is like.
1: And I'm thinking actually of one of our incoming students this year. And I remember meeting him as an applicant and he was very worried that he, his job wasn't connected to his interests or reasons for going to law school and how that would look on his application. And he told me very honestly, he took the job to make some money and he was really, really, really worried. And I said to him, I'm like, you don't need to be defensive about that at all. Um, We understand why a student would want to go make some money for a few years, um, and there's no reason to be worried about it. We see that all the time. Don't be concerned. So there's many reasons you might want to choose a job. All of them are valid and reasonable. We, we have seen them all before, and we will uh, appreciate uh, them. Uh, at a minimum, a job gives you professional experience and skills, and that's a positive thing uh, no matter what. Okay, let's talk about everybody's least favorite topic, admissions tests. Do you have a preference for the GRE or the LSAT and any advice for applicants making that choice?
0: Nope, we do not have a preference. I feel like I've been saying this for, for two years. I'm not sure if everybody believes me. And no one believes our, us. <laughs> probably don't. our listeners don't, um, but we don't have a preference. We Both Yale Law School and Harvard Law School accepts the GRE and accepts the LSAT. Uh, we've, both of our schools have admitted applicants with... Only GRE scores, only LSAT scores, both GRE and LSAT scores. Uh, But I don't want to speak for you. How about you? Do you have a a preference? You say no. Totally the same. Um, Last year was our first year with the GRE. I'll be honest. I was a
1: little worried. It's always a little scary when you do something totally new. But I am thrilled uh, with that decision. I think it was a huge success. We admitted so many awesome people with the GRE. And I remember when we admitted the first one thinking, oh my God, a year ago, this person couldn't even have applied to the law school. I am so glad we did this. Even if this is the only person we admit with the GRE, it was worth it just for them. And it was not the only person. And I'm so, so glad uh, we have that as an option for people. Um, Look, I I think it's an important strategic decision. There are still law schools that only take the LSAT. Um, Certainly it is uh, the test that I think from my perspective, our faculty readers have been, you know, viewing for decades. So to the extent that it's a coin flip for you, maybe coin flip for the ELSA, just because it's better known and more common. But I think that if there's any sort of substantive reason why you should be taking the GRE, um, if you're also applying to grad school, if you're having logistical constraints, there is no downside at all from our perspective to, to apply with just the GRE.
0: It's, it's true. So both of our two schools accept the GRE as well as the LSAT. Not every school does. <laughs> you don't want to get too far down the road of GRE study only to find out that one of your top choice schools only accepts the LSAT. So it behooves you to do a little bit of research on the front end. The use prob- of the word behooves? Wow. One of my faves. I like, <laughs> I like to pull out that little word every once in a while.
1: I was like, oh, I've never heard that like in
0: speaking so well before. That was impressive. And I'll also say that this is probably a good moment. To say uh, right now with COVID, taking a test looks really different for applicants. We accept the LSAT flex, we accept the GRE at home. And same. at least for us, we're not planning on viewing those scores any differently than a test taken in person.
1: It's exactly the same for us. We view all of those four options as, as equivalents. Um, and again, it's it's contextual. So we also get questions about Um, do you only look at the highest score? Do you look at the average score? And we look at all the scores, all Uh, the scores. Yes. And maybe the best summary of what we've just said is everything we've touched on and lots of other things, it's all data. So your application is is just chock-a-block full of data, um, and we're taking all of those data points into account, both the ones that have numbers associated with them, which I think for applicants are the easiest to get really fixated on, but there are so many more data points. Um, And that includes the entire record of testing. It includes the transcript in every class that's on it. Is there a graduate degree? What's a transcript for that? What are your recommenders saying? And all of that data just goes
0: into a giant hopper and it's evaluated really contextually and holistically. So thanks for listening to this first episode of Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. In future episodes, we plan to close out by answering your questions. Send us an email with any of the questions you'd like to see answered on this podcast. You can write the questions in the email itself, or if you'd like to hear your voice on our podcast, attach your question as a voice recording. You can email the HLS JD admissions office at JD Admiss, JDADMISS at law.harvard.edu. And our second episode will be coming
1: in about two weeks. And our next topic is timing is everything. And we may or may not have a guest. Oh, well, yeah, I think we will have a guest. <laughs> I'm excited. Actually, a very special guest star will be joining us. All right. Until then, stay well, everyone. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.